there are a lot of religions in the world. So why be a, or why is it so important to be a biblical Christian? Most Christians uh, want us to be good. And uh, Christianity wants us to be good. But is there any real difference between other religions and biblical Christianity? Well, the answer is yes, there is. There is an immense difference. Other religions could exist even if their founder never existed. For example, if Buddha had never existed, Buddhism could exist. Someone else could come along and teach the very same things that he teaches or taught. The same is true of Muhammad and Islam. If Muhammad had never lived, someone else could have come along and taught the very same things that he did. Now, those religions might not have the name they do today, but they would be exactly the same. The other religions, the essential part of them is their teaching. That's the essence of it. But that's not true of Christianity, not biblical Christianity. The essence or the, what is vital to biblical Christianity is who is Jesus really? What has he actually done? And what special thing is promised to those that believe in him? And those are the things I'd like to talk about the rest of my time here this morning. So I would like the technicians to put up on the screen a portion of scripture from the New Testament book of Philippians, chapter 2. And I'd like to read some verses to you, beginning with verse 5. And hopefully, before the sermon is done, or, or by the time it's done, you will see the extraordinary difference between biblical Christianity and all other religions. Now listen to what the scripture says. I need another pair of glasses. <laughs> Let this mind be in you 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, or he emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice what the text says. That Jesus had an existence before he was born in Bethlehem. He had in that previous existence the form of God. And that means whatever the nature or the essence of God the Father is this morning, that is or was the nature of Christ Jesus. He existed in the form of God. The verse goes on to say, and he was equal with God. Now, lest you think that this passage that I've just read to you is the only basis in the Bible for believing that, I'd like to read two other passages to you that show very clearly that Jesus lived before his birth in Bethlehem. And the first of those passages is in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, and it's verse 56 through 58. And the reason I'm reading this is to show that the Bible clearly teaches the preexistence of Christ before his birth in Bethlehem. Jesus is speaking to a group of Jewish people, and he says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now, Abraham existed 1,800 years before Jesus was born. 
And here he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And then said the Jews unto him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That clearly states that he existed before Abraham did, who lived 1,800 years approximately before Jesus was born. Now, I'd like to read one more verse to you. This time, uh, it's from the 17th chapter of John. John chapter 17, and I'm going to read verse 5 to you. In this passage, Jesus is praying, and this is what he said. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Here Jesus is saying very clearly that before the universe existed, he existed. Jesus existed before the world was made. And because of that, the scripture says he was equal with God. Now, how can the Bible say such a thing? Equal with God? There's only one God, and nothing or no one is equal with God. Nothing or no one. So why? Why this extraordinary statement? Why would Jesus say he was, he existed before the universe was made? Either he's insane, lying, or telling the truth. I existed before the world was. And yet no one is equal with God, and he says he was equal with them. So why? And the reason is because he was God. And yet how can there be one God, and yet three gods? Because the scripture teaches that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And because Christ was God the Son, before he was born in Bethlehem, that the scripture says he was equal with God. But now we're saying that there's one God, and yet there's three persons that are part of that Godhead. And some people have come to the conclusion that that means 
that God the Father is sometimes God the Son, and other times he's God the Holy Spirit, and that's not true. There is one essence or nature of God, and in that essence exists three distinct persons simultaneously. And you say, but that doesn't make sense. That's unintelligible. How can one be three, and how can three be one? There was a man, his name was Morton Adler. Morton Adler was a very, very intelligent man. He was born a Jew, and he wrote many books, and at one point in his life, he was the editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica. At 84 years of age, Mr. Adler became a Christian. And that certainly surprised some of the people he was closest to. And they wondered how, how could a man with his intelligence believe in a religion that says there's one God, yet that one God exists as three persons. That's unintelligible. To which Mr. Adler re replied, it's not unintelligible. God understands it. Now, that can seem like a flip answer. But Mr. Adler meant it literally, and literally it's true. All of us, regardless of intelligence level, all of us, as human beings, are finite, which means we have limitations. On the other hand, God is infinite, and he has no limitations. So is it really surprising? Is it surprising that finite man can't fully understand the nature of an infinite God? Space, so far as we know, is infinite. Is there any end to it? We don't know. We can assume it's infinite. It just goes on and on and on. And so man can't measure it because it's infinite. And just as man can't measure infinite space, neither can man understand totally the nature of an infinite God. Now back to the text, and technicians, you can put up that Philippians text and leave it there for the rest of the sermon. 
Now we've seen from the text that Jesus existed before his birth in Bethlehem. In that previous existence, he had the nature of God, whatever it is. And that nature we can't fully comprehend. And it also says that he existed before everything was made and that he is actually the one person in the Godhead that made it all. And I'd like to give you a passage that affirms that. In this same Gospel of John, in the first chapter, this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word. So there's this something or someone that the Scripture calls the Word. And this Word existed before the universe was made. Now the verse goes on and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same that was in the beginning with God. And then it adds something else. And it says in verse 3 of that first chapter, and all things that are made were made by him, by the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And all things were made by him that are made. And without him, it says, there was nothing made that is made. He is God Almighty, is what the scripture teaches. Now, it doesn't say who the word was in those three verses. But if you go down to verse 14 of the same chapter, it tells us who it was. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the apostle John who wrote that gospel says, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Biblical Christianity teaches that Jesus had a prior existence. It was in the form of God. He was God, and he's the one person in the Godhead that made everything. Frankly, these are astounding statements. And I suspect, no, I believe that no one can really believe these things unless God puts it in his mind and heart. It seems like nonsense. And it helps separate those who say they're Christian but really are not Christians because they don't believe those things. 
They believe being a Christian is being good. An atheist can be good. An atheist can be a good neighbor. An atheist can be a good citizen. An atheist can be a good friend. An atheist can uh, help you in time of need. Good conduct is not reserved to born-again Christians. What's unique about born-again Christians is not that they believe in Jesus. Anybody can believe in Jesus. But it's what you believe about Jesus that makes one a Christian. Do you believe that he existed in eternity? Do you believe that he is one with God? That he is the creator of all things? And now comes the real extraordinary part. Look at the text in Philippians again. What does it say? That he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation or he emptied himself. He did not use his powers of God, but instead he humbled himself and assumed the nature of a man and joined it to his divine nature. It wasn't that he just assumed a body because a man is more than a body. If he's just a body, he's a corpse. But a man is a body, a soul, and a spirit. And when God the Son humbled himself and took a human nature and came into the world by birth of the Virgin Mary, it was God who took our likeness. He became like us. Now, the natures didn't mix because that would not be possible for God because God is immutable. He cannot change. It's not like this uh, human nature like, is like chocolate syrup. You put it in a glass of milk and stir it up. No, Jesus always had his divine nature and his human nature. That's why he would say, the Father and I are one. And he would also say, the Father is greater than I. So when Jesus took our nature, it's what 1 Timothy 3.16 says. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, why would he do that? Well, the scripture tells us that he did it in order to become really our savior. In First uh, Corinthians, the 15th chapter, it says that Christ died for our sins. That's why he came. We are all sinners. We sin in different ways, but we're all sinners. 
And the wages of sin, stated by God right at the beginning in the early chapters of Genesis, is death. Death, remember, basically, is separation. Physical death is when the soul is separated from the body. Eternal death, spiritual death, is when the soul is separated from God. And we all have entered the world with a sinful nature. We're separated from God, and that's why we need to have a spiritual birth. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Jesus came, or God the Son became Jesus, took our nature in order that he may, that he, as a man he could pay our sin penalty. Jesus was sinless. Death had no hold on him. But in order for God to be just, when he said that men's sins must be paid for, separated from him forever, he became a man in order to die and pay the penalty of death for those that would believe in him. So everyone who believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord, Jesus pays for those, our sins, all of our sins. As the scripture says, he became sin for us. Our sins were charged to him or imputed to him. His righteousness, his perfect righteousness, is imputed to us. And by being born again, we receive a new nature. If any man, the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Why is he new? Because he has something after his spiritual birth that he didn't have before, a new sinless nature. He still has the old one. And that's what causes our problems as Christians. We have an, in the book of Galatians, it calls the old nature the old man and the new nature the new man. The new nature can't sin, the old nature loves to sin. And you, if you're a Christian, you know that in your heart. Look at the struggles you have. You're not alone, it's not because you're weak. We all have that problem. So Jesus humbled himself to be our savior. Christianity teaches extraordinary things. Either we're beyond help in believing such things, or it's true. Jesus took our nature in, the, in order that we might have this, and it's an extraordinary statement. You'll find it in 2 Peter, I believe it's chapter 1, verse 4, 
that we might become partakers of the divine nature. He took our nature to save us in order that we might have eternal life by becoming a partaker of the divine nature. When we're born again, that new nature was born of God. It can't sin. The old nature loves sin. So he who loved us became one of us in order to save us. What does the most famous verse in the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. That's the promise of God Almighty. If you're a biblical Christian, God is committed to you and he has saved you. He is keeping you. And one day when the trumpet sounds and the heavens are ablaze with the angels and the archangels and all the hosts of heaven come and every man will see the judge when he arrives. It's Jesus the Christ, the one who died for you. And now he will pronounce you innocent. And you have glory like you've never imagined. Just as we cannot understand the nature of God, neither can we fully understand what life will be like in heaven. For the scripture says this, I have not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Oh, my friends, we have the great gift of all, everlasting life. And the rest of the world, the scripture says this, that if you're without Christ, you're without God and without hope in the world. We're not saved by being good. We're saved by trusting Christ who has perfect righteousness. And that perfect righteousness is imputed to us. Now I want to draw just two quick applications. I'm sure there's some here this morning that have never placed their trust in Christ. They've never asked him to be their savior. Some of you may have terrible sins that you would be horrified if others knew about it. Jesus said this, if any man will come to me, notice, any man. If any man will come to me, I will in no wise cast him out. If you'll come to him right, right now, right where you sit, 
where no one can see in your mind. And you say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I want you to be my savior. Come into my life and make me new. He's not going to make you some raving religious fanatic. But he will change you. And you'll be glad. I'm 91. And I can tell you honestly, the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me was at 20 years old, near midnight, after coming out of a boiler room in the Navy, God spoke to me and changed me. I thought it was all nonsense. And it's the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. And every good thing I have this morning, and I have so much, has come out of that moment. Oh, my friends, you'll never regret believing in Jesus, having him as your savior. Will you be perfect? No, you'll fail. I have so many failures. I can't remember them all. And so many, I'd be ashamed if you knew them. Uh, but he can save to the uttermost. He can save you right now. You don't have to join this church or come to this church ever again. But if you believe in Jesus... He'll plant you in some church where the Bible is taught and preached. And you'll be glad. And if you're a Christian, you're God's. He knows all about your weaknesses, all about your failures. But while we were yet sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for us. Isn't that great news? Now, let's give God a hand. Express our love to him. And now, Jason, come on up and lead us in one more song. And after the song, I'll pronounce a benediction. And if any of you have any questions you want to ask, I'd be glad to try to answer them afterwards. And if you've never experienced Christ as your Savior, one of the pastors here at the church will be glad to help you. They'll be in the back or up front here. Thanks.